Welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, I'd say I'm just back from the uh, Blackberry Memorial Service, and uh, <laughs> they will be missed. Dearly missed, at least by me. <laughs> It was a game changer for me, you know, and I really, yeah. And at the end, did everybody like hold their Blackberries up and tap the keys so that yeah. it sound, sounded like a, just like this whale. It was the death whale of the Blackberry. And then chuck them all onto the e-waste pile, I guess. But that's, that's where I used to get mine, so. <laughs> oh. It was for seven years a Waterloo legend or a piece of Waterloo history. Um, it put Waterloo on the map, so. And when uh, I saw mine in a museum in Montreal, I was like, yeah. And that was before they were that expired. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Should put one um, next to the the Mondex, Mondex machine. Oh, the yeah, yeah. Museum. yeah. I'll have to dust off the telegraph now because I don't know what to do. Huh? Really <laughs> Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. But this week, though, we're just doing the news, including a new deal to compensate Canada's Indigenous people for child welfare deficiencies. So why did we waste all of that time appealing this in court? And then happy anniversary one year ago today, a shirtless guy with a spear tried to overthrow America for a disgruntled game show host. And now there's nothing to worry about. Uh, and then finally, we will speak about uh, stuff there is to worry about, like the is 2022 going to be the year that Putin finally invades the whole of Ukraine and not just a piece of it? It could be. Uh, but first, uh, you know, the current COVID situation, what do we call it? COVID light? Is it Ugh. COVID light? <laughs> is it lockdown light? I'm, uh, yeah. So um, it's, it's for people who are sort of like coming back to like watching the news after New Year's. Uh, I was watching the news all of New Year's because that's kind of the job. But yeah, it, mm. it was it was funny watching the slowly creeping uh, new restrictions. Uh, you know, it was like you know, sort of watching lava come towards. <laughs> it's just like you know. First, we're going to limit long-term care visitations, and then we're going to cut capacity on big venues to fifty percent, and then uh, we're cutting non-urgent medical procedures. And now we're, you know, no kids are going to school, and for two weeks, and we're shutting everything down for three weeks, and no more indoor dining. There is, however, patio dining still. Uh, so yeah, uh, good job. Everyone. Perfect for the, the first minus 20 of the month. That'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and you'd kind of expect, I mean, we, in, let's go back to March 2020 when it all started, you could almost expect something like, you know, this kind of like, well, we don't really know what to do, so we'll do this. Mm. But this is, this is a rerun, and the Omicron situation, it's not as if people didn't see it coming. I keep, you know, we all heard it in advance. Not quite the sky is falling, but like, we need to look over this. And in fact, who was it? It was uh, one, uh, one of the many, many doctors, Dr. Uni. He specifically said, he said, oh, we'll probably see or very likely to see 10,000 cases by by New Year's. And he was almost like he was almost right on the money. Mm -hmm. So and he's on the advisory committee, too. But it, it would seem, at least in Ontario, that they're not 
completely listening to that crew. It's selective hearing. Uh, also selectively was the word blunt. I don't know. I can't remember how many times they all said it. We're going to blunt this because that's their way mm-hmm. of saying like, well, we can't stop this train. Blunt is a new pivot. Blunt, blunt is the new pivot. Yeah. Blunt will be banned on the list of banned words for 2022. Cause that's all we're going. We need to, we need to blunt it. We can't stop it. Um, and then they do stuff like having the, Oh, we need more hospital beds. Okay. Let's find a bed and we'll do a rollout. And we'll have some guys standing around. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it looked like a, looked like the Metro convention center or something like a, a bed display. I was like, God, like just no. Just no. How about no photo ops? Because and, and somebody pointed out too, like there were no nurses in that picture. That it was kind of like oddly telling that here's Doug Ford and some guys in suits, but no nurses. Like no yeah. nobody in scrubs. Uh, so you know you're rolling out more beds, but who's who's staffing those beds? Yeah, literally just rolling a bed, and and no one's buying it. And also weirdly, considering what's was at stake for the schools and what was announced for schools, Lecce, Stephen mm-hmm. Lecce, the minister, didn't make it, even though there was an agenda that said he was going to be there. Yeah. It was like, okay, he's going to be there. He's going to be there. He's going to be there. Uh, I liked the theory personally, and this is just somebody. Uh, putting it out there that maybe he was trying to hide the tan that he got over the holidays. Mm. What other reason would you need to not be there? Right. Mm. Unless you're hard at work, which usually equals campaigning in his case, but uh, not really anywhere to campaign these days. Cause you can't go to the long-term care home. You can't go here and there, but yeah, it, it was unusual. But, but then of course, also unusual was the whole <laughs> um champion level of shout out that he got from the premier like uh, if you really need to to turn it up that much you're overdoing it a little bit he's the great what was it the best yeah, education he's the minister in the country yeah oh, wasn't the world has ever seen but yeah and and that's we know that that's not true well it's um, it's hyperbolic to say the least i mean you could like legitimately believe that Stephen lecce is a great minister of education but is he the greatest mm, i mean you could very well write be, be right about the whole tan but i mean i also feel like that could just be easily paved over like because you know personal personal care businesses are still open he could have went to a tanning bed somewhere so i mean we i mean we would have the option of not buying that but <laughs> you could certainly try and sell it um mm. but yeah the, the absence of the minister of education is particularly telling and uh just watching the tv news on tuesday night they tried to get him on camera and he refused um they tried to get him on camera wednesday and he sent a statement so it's like why are you hiding um because it does feel like it's like because i think the number one thing that people are upset about um is the school closures for two weeks um because i mean everything else sort of comes from that because you know if your workplace is still open and or if you still have to go to work uh whether or not your kids can go to school is kind of like a big piece of this um <laughs> if you're if you're working from home it's not as big a deal but uh also having the kids at home probably also has an effect on how well you can work at home as well um so he's like of all the ministers to sort of um uh, be undercover right now like he should <laughs> you know, speaking of schools sort of being the, the first to close and the last to open, well, the Minister of Education should be the last to disappear and the first to reappear. It's really kind of noticeable that he's not out there talking to uh, school officials, teachers, uh, parents. Um, he just seems remarkably absent, which automatically yeah. precludes him from being the best education minister in the country. Well, I mean, that's you proving that you're not the best. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> because you're hiding and behind press releases and whatnot. I mean, unless you're personally driving the truck with all the HEPA units that are supposed to be coming and dropping them off, I would be impressed by that. And most people would. That's, that's what... That, I, you know, I would when, not when Doug Ford, <laughs> when Doug goes into populist mode and says, I'm, I'll, be, I'll drive the snowplow myself. You know, if that was actually happening, they'd be like, okay. But instead, it's this scramble. And we have the, this two-week delay for the schools. But the burning question is, what are they going to do in that two weeks? The, the, the students are at home. The parents are scrambling. The teachers are also teaching remotely. But then it's like, are these HEPA filters going to appear? Are the masks that they say that all educators are going to get going to appear? Or is it just going to be, you know, half-assed? Well, I mean, that's that, the is, that is the sense that people are getting because this is what has happened in the past, right? Well, it's, it's more than that. Yeah, it's, it's the sense of deja vu. It's the sense of, hey, remember last year after New Year's or after Christmas when Doug Ford came out and said, like, we're, we're going to lock down for a couple of weeks. We're going to tighten it down. And then before you know it, it was May and we were still, <laughs> still locked down. And I mean, part of the problem with all of this is that even sort of the most understandable people are, are are starting to sound like anti-maskers and, and these other type of people, like, like, you know, there should be some sort of civil disobedience. It's not that they don't trust the science. It's that they trust the science. It's the government they don't trust. Mm. And it's because very, like very easily Doug Ford, because they were doing press events almost every day. It felt like every day or every other day, you could have come out and said like, look, we're, we're watching the cases, do yourself a favor Act like you're not going to go back to in-person learning right away in January. We know that sucks, but just looking at the numbers, it may be a precaution we have to take. And then people are prepared, yep. right? But the, the other big problem with this is that people were caught unawares, like granted an individual case-by-case basis of different school boards at different schools like different teachers and school boards might have said like hey prepare for the worst um you know hope for the best prepare for the worst but this is another top-down situation where he could have just been speaking of blunt be, been blunt with people it's like hmm. and because at, at the end of the day this is not an ontario phenomenon this is a worldwide phenomenon it's oh, yeah. in the united states they crossed one million new cases in a single day um the other day it, it's happening in the uk it's happening in france like france just uh emmanuel macron just reluctantly made uh, domestic air travel require a vaccine sort of which is something he's been reticent to do so i mean this isn't an ontario phenomenon and in, in, but indeed like given how 80 percent of eligible people are fully vaccinated in ontario it should have been like we should have been less affected. Like there yep. shouldn't be this mad scramble, at least if you were staying on top of it. But Doug Ford was reticent. And I hate to say it, but I think a lot of it was political because it was, it wasn't even two months ago. They were saying, Hey, come January 15th, we're going to start taking off proof of vaccination. That was going to happen next week, <laughs> according to the original plan. And look where we are now. So it, then, it's just, yeah. you know, it, it's been an entire policy of like plan for the best. And like, if the worst happens, <laughs> Hey, stuff happens. That seems to be the, the general plan. If there yeah, is and all of that. 
they keep hedging the bets on it too, right? It's like, we've <clears throat> yeah. seen this a few times where it's like, well, it's going to go away. It's like, well, no, it hasn't actually. <laughs> so what's your plan B or even plan C? I don't even sure. We're, we're probably on plan X at this point. It's like naming uh, naming variants, <laughs> right? It's like, what what plan should we dust off now? It's like, well, let's let's sort of revisit the old one with a little bit of spin. But hell, we're not going to call it a lockdown. It better not call it a lockdown or, or our people will freak out. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so it's it's almost as if they don't. Uh, the impression I get is they don't want to mess with the holiday, mm-hmm. right? It's like mm-hmm. we have to have our holiday like everybody else, all the, with the exception of like every healthcare worker on mm-hmm. earth, right? Mm-hmm. Among others, there's there's no holiday there. There's no break there, right? So it's like they do this whole shutdown thing, and you can't do anything. You can't get anything. Some people manage to get boosters, maybe. If they're lucky and some people their first shots which is a good thing and then of course we saw the mad the scramble for the rapid tests and it was announced mm-hmm. this week that uh the feds are going to distribute what was it 140 million is going to work out to like four or five per person i don't know if we're going to see them like yeah it's one of those they, they've said this number and then it'll be of course the narrative from the province will be like well we're just we're just waiting for the rapid tests what's right. always they always try and throw it back and actually o'toole was doing that a bit it's like I, you know trudeau dropped the ball because you know there was no we didn't have this and that and it's like everything you're naming is provincial responsibilities mm-hmm. and the main provinces that are kind of dropping it are uh, conservative, conservative leaning, right? Particularly Ontario and Alberta, but also mm-hmm. Quebec to a large degree. Like, but that—that th- that is the key difference in Quebec is that they're—they're they're willing to take steps that other provinces aren't, and that's—that's that's interesting to me that they're willing—they're—they're they're willing to like, okay, that just stop. And uh, and it's not like everybody's cooperating. It's not that simple, but it's—it's it's amazing yeah. that they. You know, it, it's it's sort of deviating from what I would call the conservative norm. They're like, no, we're just going to, you know, the majority of people are like, well, okay, we better do this. Again, it's just to blunt it because it's not going away. And that's, I think that's a bit of a danger. The dangerous narrative is that, oh, well, it's kind of mild. Yeah, it's mild in people because you're vaccinated and right. some people vaccinated and boosted. That is reportedly why it is mild. Mm-hmm. And the problem is the unvaccinated or people with, with other issues that is where the problem lies. And you can see it because the, the hospitals in the area and was it a couple of days ago, the uh, Brampton and was it Willie Mossler? Code Orange. Yeah. Code Orange is bad. That means it's not just that the place is full. Staffing is yeah. down. Staffing is everybody is being hammered, whether it's uh, you know police, essential services, uh, medical staff, particularly nurses and those on the floor. It is just ripping through everybody, vaccinated and on, and you have to take the time. Because it affects everybody to a varying degree. And there's also the people having to come in with COVID because there's no other option. Lots of stories out in that respect. It's like, well, I need to I need to go do this because there's no one else to do this. Oh, and by the way, I'm positive. It's like, whoa, like that's, we are hitting the wall. Yeah, there was, I saw somebody on Reddit today in, I think, London, who you know, works in, HVAC, who was like the last man standing at his company, and he has to sort of go out and fix people's heating so that you know they don't freeze to death. Um, yeah, Central, yeah, yeah, and I mean the the whole Francois Legault has a lot of experience being hated, so you know when it, it does at, at some point it's like water off a duck's back. But I mean that's also <laughs> Doug Ford's greatest uh, 
sort of selling point as a leader, but it's also his greatest weakness when it comes time to actually show decisiveness. He can be pushed and bullied on uh, public behavior. And we've seen that in, in numerous examples over the years. And I mean, just the look on his face at the press conference, like at, at some point oh, yeah. in the press conference, I looked up at the computer screen. I noticed like, he's not greeting reporters anymore. And I saw the look on his face like, Oh, somebody's not having any fun, which I mean, he shouldn't be having fun anyway, but it, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's sort of that point of the, the crisis where nobody wants to be a part of it anymore, but it's still, it's still a dangerous thing. And you're right about the whole thing about the vaccinations. It's like, yeah, it, it, it seems to be less potent or it seems to be a less dangerous in terms of if you catch it, but it spreads with almost little effort at all, mm-hmm. which is not great when, I mean, it's great if the whole population is vaccinated and healthy, but it, that does not describe our population either. So that's why people have to be on their guard. I don't know if anybody's run the numbers on what this would have looked like if we weren't, if we didn't have vaccines, but I'm sure it would have been like it would have, yeah. contagion level of, I mean, the movie contagion, right? Which yeah. I just watched. And I'm like, Oh my God, they predicted all of this <laughs> virtually. Right. It's like, that's what happened. And that's well, what's the, happening. The guy, the guy who wrote that, I, I don't know if it was based on a book or if it was just a, a movie, but like the guy who wrote it, like is literally a virologist. So that's why there's a certain, certain um, cinema verite to that now mm-hmm. given everything, but uh, we do need to move on to right. federal stuff. So um, on Tuesday, the federal government announced that they have reached a deal with indigenous peoples across Canada, a $40 billion deal to compensate them for the deficiencies, the systemic deficiencies in the child welfare system, which um, by and large uh, disproportionately has affected Indigenous people. There are, in terms of percentage of the population, there are way more Indigenous children in care in Canada versus any other uh, group. And uh, so the deal is $20 billion for compensation for children and families, plus another $20 billion uh, to update family services. Um, this is actually, I was trying to find the notes we did on the show the last time we talked about this, but I mm-hmm. remember one of us basically saying, like, the whole thing about pursuing the appeal was stupid because they're either going to come out with a a worse deal than what is originally outlined by the human rights commission, in which yep. case they were going to look greedy and, and, you know, completely out to lunch and, and, or it was They were going to come back with a better deal. And it's like, well, why didn't you just pay the money? And why'd you take them to court that whole time? And you just pay them out and then say, Hey, we want to do more for you. Let's come up with a separate deal. Um, I mean, I'm glad the indigenous people have the money, but I mean, is there, is there a universe where this wasn't a gigantic waste of, people's time <laughs> yeah and i never actually fully understood why they're doing that and i think it was probably because of the the greater repercussions and not only just looking bad and it's not just the this started well before the liberals i mean all mm. alternating governance governments since probably the beginning of confederation has have you know some level of this question or, or situation but yeah, so I mean, if anybody's wondering too, we, we talked about this before because during the election, yes, remember that election last year that just came and went and the line was, oh, why yeah. is the government taking indigenous children to court kept, you know, over and over again? Well, this this is the the, the end result of that. And it's, yeah, you're, you're right. And there's, it, it's it's too child too, because people should know that it was, some of it was to do with children being adopted, but some of it is also to do with uh, Jordan's principle, mm-hmm. uh, which was 
passed in was it 2007 but it was it was mm-hmm. never fully implemented so it was like this principle had passed that indigenous children uh, jordan was a was a young indigenous boy who never ever went home and was in a hospital for the whole five years of his life because they were fighting over who was going to pay for his care mm-hmm. and presumably this will not only uh compensate people that were in that situation but the idea is to also um not only investigate but put right the fact that that was happening um so you know hopefully that will happen and this this isn't official yet i mean this this passed but it still it still needs to go through the the original channels anyway which was the the federal court and the canadian human rights tribunal both have to sign off of this and say yeah we we think this is acceptable because it's it it, it is interesting that they they deviated completely from this uh, amount that they were supposed to pay out. Like, as you said, like, why don't you just pay this out? So no, no, we're going to do this instead. And I thought it was interesting too, because I didn't know that uh, Murray Sinclair, who was on the truth and reconciliation commission mm-hmm. was one of the key uh, negotiators of this. And he's mm-hmm. probably the person to do it being a, you know, a judge lawyer and also um, an senator. indigenous. Yeah. And a Senator and an indigenous person. <laughs> like, you know, it's, they probably, didn't need to look too far. Like, yeah, let's let's get Sinclair to do it. So it still needs to be rubber stamped uh, all around, but it probably will be. There may be some tweaks, I would imagine. But uh, I, I don't know if the math did. Do you know this, Adam? Did the does the math? Uh, it does it. It at least equates what the settlement was supposed to be. But it sounds like it's this is more, isn't it? It's more. Yeah. It. it, it like the, the 40,000 per child is kind of like the baseline in the human rights uh, decision. Yeah. Cause that was um, a max payout, right? Whereas that was, yeah. it's probably a bit more flexible like depending they still have on what to, happened to you. Yeah. They still have to work out sort of like the, I guess the guidelines to determine how um, you get, how much you get paid out. But it, it, like that, that's kind of like the ballpark figure that they're going to be working with. And it sounds like some people might get paid more and some people might get paid less. And then there's also, I mean, there's also two different categories. There's like all the kids between, I think it's 1991 and 2007. And then there's kids from, this also covers kids. And I think this is where it's like sort of the richer part of the, the agreement comes in that kids from 2007 to 2017, who theoretically should have been protected by the Jordan principle, but for various reasons were not. So they're getting, um, a cut of this this money as well. So, and, and again, it, it's it's a generous settlement, and I th- even you know the the Assembly of First Nations people were very pleased with it. But again, it, just from the political point of view, because like more than a few liberals running in that election last year took the hit, and certainly our own local MP took the hit. Like, why are you sending, why are you taking indigenous kids to, to court? I mean, and that they literally weren't taking indigenous kids to court, but um, it's one of those tidy little political phrases that somebody came up with that just sticks like, like glue. And yep. I, I'd be willing to bet more than a few lo- votes were lost, especially after last summer, more than a few votes were lost by oh, some yeah. liberal candidates over just like them getting dinged with this. And um it was just like a bad smell all around after everything that happened last summer. And if, if indeed the goal was to um, sort of be a little bit more loose with the the decision and, and who gets money again, just like, why were you appealing this? Why didn't you just say like, Hey, 
say didn't i mean granted there's like several hundred indigenous communities across the country and mm-hmm. they, they were just irrever irrevocably harmed I mean, first of all, the indigenous people themselves were irrevocably harmed, but I mean, the, the government themselves were irrevocably harmed by just th- that phrase, taking indigenous kids to court. And if the idea, if again, if the idea was to be more generous, why not just do it instead of, you know, filing the appeal paperwork as, as they went along? That, that, that probably hurt them politically more than any conser- a small C conservative, not necessarily, it's not necessarily the opinion of the conservative party I'm saying, but there will be people who will make the argument like here you are just giving away more money to indigenous people. Um, yeah. Cause it is, it is quite a bit. And also there, there's, there's some uh, children covered in this that I don't think were initially. And that's the, uh, if you're a non-status child of like first I, nations citizens and what was the other one was the, this is all rooted in the Indian act, which is also going to, well, They've been trying to retool it for years, but that's probably next up. But also if you're the parent or guardian mm-hmm. that is eligible, but your child isn't necessarily for whatever reason. So they're, they're, they seem to be covering all the uh, potential scenarios where a child would have been, ended up in, in, right. in care, but also needing services. So it's, it's sort of a two, not two tier, but um, yeah. And so, yeah, a long time. What was that? Two thousand. uh, 2007 was the first case so this has been this yeah. has been a long long time coming and uh yeah it's and like i said it's not i think it was, it was cindy blackstock was on who was one of the drivers behind the at least the jordan's principal case and involved with the others said that this is non-binding i'm like what it's non-binding <laughs> like so yeah. this big rollout in this big announcement was like, it's non-binding so it's it's i don't know if it's like aspirational goals of cope 26 level of non-binding or uh is it you know, does it need to be, I'm sure the human rights tribunal is going to be like, okay, you better, you better get the wheels <laughs> rolling this and you better get it done or else. I don't know what the or else is. They're, they're already supposed to have paid out. Right. So I made um, that notice well, that it is non-binding and, and, and I believe she also said that, you know, it, it's up to everybody to sort of keep up the pressure Oh yeah, uh, to make sure that it's fulfilled. And this isn't just one of those things where, <laughs> the, the the government says hey we did it yeah and i mean there is sort of like a yeah. firm deadline for them to sort of get everything worked out too which was march 31st so because the difficulty uh, is if there's a change in government whatever it may be right it could throw I, all this out the window right i mean that is probably somewhat unlikely at the moment but uh, well, you never know you never know and you never know when we have to take a break well it's usually at the bottom of the hour but there you go um we're gonna take a quick break and come right back with the rest of the news you're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Just march on. breath on me, you would have died a million times, and if chewing was to show me how much you care, you'd probably swallow your tongue by now, all I'm trying to say darling is that you know the road that I left her for you. 
And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 MacDonnell in the downtown. Uh, I guess these days I would call or message them for what their hours are because we don't know. Uh, that song may be familiar to some of you as it is the theme music from a fantastic show that was shortlisted for me for political things people should watch. The Morning Show, which is on Apple TV+. Plus. Oh, by the way, that wasn't a promotion for Apple TV+, Plus. that's just where it is. Anyway, <laughs> the song is called Nemesis. The artist is Benjamin Clementine. Oh, that's nice. And I, the album I, is I Don't Know. <laughs> <laughs> I did all the homework, but like, I'm, I'm not I'm sure. It's known as the theme for the morning show. Let's say it's from the morning show soundtrack. There you go. Okay. Well, sure. It I'm is. impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been watching the morning show, but um, I'd I'm put sure. it on your list. It's it's solid. Oh, interesting. It's so solid. All right, onto the list. Um, speaking of lists, uh, there are some 350 witnesses who have been deposed by the January 6th commission. There have been 35,000 documents seized as well. And then in an announcement on Tuesday, or no, excuse me, on Wednesday, Merrick Garland, uh, the Attorney General of the United States, says that in his own invest, his department's own investigation of the January 6th writers, they have issued 5,000 plus subpoenas, 2,000 uh, plus devices, 200,000, um, 200, uh, I can't even read my own writing, uh, 15 <laughs> terabytes of data, $300,000 tips collected so far. So why are we so nervous given this anniversary uh, about the the future fate of America again. It just, uh, you know, everybody seems to be saying the right things, but um, it's hard to deny that uh, the, the bastards feel like they're winning. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the two hour rampage lives on. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah, this is wild. And what is something like over 700 people charged and thereafter, like another 300,000 people, and probably more to come from 45 different states are like on the block. I th- a lot of them are in custody, I believe. It's um, if you're interested in digging deeper, <clears throat> I found out the USA Today has a complete list of every single person. I was just looking at some of the charges as everything from um, disorderly conduct to. It lo- I didn't see treason, but I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Treasonous behavior, or whatever, <laughs> whatever they're calling it. Conspiracy was a very common one too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and uh, so there's going to be a commemoration on the sixth, which is today. We're broadcasting sixth anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a, I guess a, a prayer meeting or whatever the kinds of things that they do. A commemoration of the sort. But it it turned out I didn't know this that Donald Trump was going to speak on the sixth. Yeah. And it sounds like his people, I don't know who, probably lawyers, because it sounds like <laughs> he doesn't want to listen to his kids. He didn't listen to them when they said, Daddy, please stop this. Uh, at least that's something that's come out. Um, so he, I guess he's not speaking, which is shocking, but it sounds like he's the, the rallies are back. Yeah. He's supposed to be having a rally next week. I think it's in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, it's been so long since we've mentioned a Trump rally in passing or otherwise like a rally. He's not even, he's just, we hardly hear of the guy uh, anymore, except when it's stuff like this, right? Oh, uh, on the, uh, the, the, the taxes too. That's another story, I guess, but yeah. Um, completely another story, but it involves lots of subpoenas. Subpoena, I think will be the word of 2022 out of the US. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, whether people pay attention to them or not is another matter. Right? Oh, I'm just, it'll be like, oh, I'm just not going. I'm not doing it, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, th- this is kind of the biggest complaint to come out about the Merrick Garland speech. Is like, yeah, he said a, really lo- a lot of really nice things, but I think what people wanted was urgency. I think what they wanted was like one of those TV press conferences, like, like Paul Giamatti and Billions, like calling out, <laughs> Damian Lewis, like I'm gonna put you in jail, or like uh, it, it's yeah, some uh, energy, yeah, yeah. I they guess. wanted yeah. some energy, but yeah, it would, I, I watched it live because I thought, well, if he's like making a point of like making a press statement, then it, it's gonna be something major. But it was instead, it was at the Department of Justice. We believe in holding people to yeah. justice and we want to hold yeah. the people on January 6th to justice and we are going to arrest them and prosecute them as we see fit as we need to because we're the Department of Justice and we're going... It's just like, dude, um, you're not really meeting the moment because, I mean, you're right. I, I don't know who talked Donald Trump out of not uh, sullying uh <laughs> January 6th further but um I'm kind of amazed that they did uh my guess is yeah on this week that subpoena and Don uh or (laughs) subpoena that Ivanka and Don Jr. got subpoenas and uh we're apparently into Sean Hannity's business now at least for the the January 6th commission is Hmm. um and and it's they're releasing these text messages that from Sean Hannity said I had a a call with Trump today it was not good which I mean given how those two are thick as thieves you got to wonder just how bad a call it was if it was not good um but yeah we are kind of like missing a sense of urgency and it's like it's not there in Merrick Garland it's not there in Joe Biden it's not there in Joe Manchin who's like maybe we could change the rules so we can pass voting rights i don't like you know i don't know like come come see me in an hour maybe i'll change my mind um people are pinning their hopes on mitch mcconnell who's like oh no i believe maybe we can possibly at some point change the election counting act and it's like wow that's a victory okay so goodbye america and i was listening to jeet here on uh, the new abnormal podcast and he was like <laughs> like people f- journalists from london to berlin to paris to canada are all writing pieces about what do we do when america falls and yeah. <laughs> we talked about that before the you know the, the holiday break too but you know it, it just seems to be that the people who are capable of changing the game on this are just i, I don't know lackadaisic about the stakes and um meanwhile you do have donald trump still out there going hard every day like oh no i really won um and they stole it from me and that's just not true at all and you have sean hannity going on tv saying oh no donald trump won and he's gonna win again even though he's like when the show's over he goes back to his phone and is texting mark meadows like oh god he's ruining it he's ruining everything talk to him he's ruining it it's just you know, it, it's really it's it's hard enough in this situation where even the people who know better willfully engage in two different realities. Forget about the people who don't know better. And um, I, I think, I mean, I guess we can reserve judgment a little, hmm. but um, it is a concern that Merrick Garland just absolutely did not answer the day before this anniversary. Um, that they are not taking, I, I should say, I, I was going to say, I don't think that they're taking it seriously, 
but I don't think they're taking it urgently, which is the like what has to be done. Yeah, and <clears throat> I did see a little bit of that, and it didn't really instill like <laughs> high hopes for anybody that has a stake in this to say, oh yeah, this this is going to get sorted out. But it's because I guess a lot of it is just the slog. Yeah, the FBI is probably the busiest it's it's ever been, right? Yeah, but that's <clears throat> yeah, like you said with Trump, and this is the problem. It would be the problem if he had spoke on had spoken on Thursday or even next week. It's going to be like you said. It's going to be well, you know, I actually won, and and pumping those people up again, the exact people that were pumped up that did this uh, last year, a year ago. And uh, I don't know if you saw it, Adam, there was, a, there was a really interesting take. I think it may have been The Daily Show where they took <clears throat> some of the news people that you'd mentioned there, mm-hmm. most, mostly leaning hard into Fox, and they were, <laughs> they were talking about Black Lives Matter protests. Mm-hmm. But they were, they were showing footage of what was going on on the 6th, yeah. on January 6th, as the, you know, this could actually completely be the narrative yeah. for what was going on with what we would probably, or at least I would call their people, uh, on that day at the Capitol. It's true. It is their people regardless. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's, yeah, there is this, there is this divide. It's like the, the two sides of the math thing. It's a, wow, you know, like, um, but yeah. And, and on top of that too, there was a, a poll somewhere. Mm. Uh, so I wish I had the exact, I'll track it down. If you, if you hold me to it, <laughs> saying that mo- lots of people in America are expecting this again, they're expecting something similar again. They're expecting worse. They're mm-hmm. expecting insurrection or the revolution or whatever. And this isn't coming necessarily from the people that are driving it. They're just, uh, it's something in the air. Like you were saying about those articles about the collapse of America. I try and avoid, avoid those kinds of articles. Dep- it depends on who writes it, I suppose. Uh, Cause there's just such a heap of uh, speculative stuff in there. There's, mm-hmm. there's obviously truth to some of it, but Oh yeah. Canada get ready. Cause America's going to collapse. And what are we going to do? We don't have a military. <laughs> it's like, Oh, <laughs> aren't things scary enough with COVID and all the other stuff going on? He <laughs> was like, should I buy a gun? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> should I buy a flag? Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, I, I did uh, see that. I think it was Syracuse University and one of the papers that that posted that. I can't remember. Yeah. but yeah, it was like, reputable source. And regardless, right? No, it was, we, it was like a reputable source. So, it was yeah. a reputable source for sure. But yeah, it was something like eighty percent of people were concerned that political violence is going to get worse. And it was like kind of like the one area of bipartisanship where both people on the left and people on the right think that political violence is going to get worse. Except oh, yeah. that people on the left think it's going to be Trump supporters and Trump supporters think it's going to be Antifa. And I mean, one of those things are more likely to come to pass than the other. It's like saying I'm worried about the future, but group one is worried about climate change and group two is worried about uh, an invasion (laughs) from, or an invasion from extra dimensional creatures led by a robot man with a brain in his stomach. Yes. Uh, That was that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference, but the, the, I mean, both are legitimate concerns, but one is more likely to happen than the other. So, I mean, even these like rare instances of bipartisanship are just built on a house of, of BS. And I mean, I don't want to let people on the left slide either, because there was a, uh, I saw a poll before the holidays that was like 60% of people who identify as liberal in the United States trust um, Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts. It's like, are you people smoking crack? Because if you want to find like a patient zero for this, like the first guy to bite another guy and make him a zombie, it was 
maybe it wasn't John Roberts, but John Roberts is definitely one of the early adopters to this. He he was put through Citizens United. He helped rubber stamp that. He led the Supreme Court to take away key provisions of the voting rights that led to a lot of the stuff that's um, affecting like states like Georgia right now, like taking away voting precincts and making it illegal to give people waiting in line to vote water and things like that. You can't trust him. He's part of the problem. Everything is so messed up right now. And then (laughs) the flip side of it is too, um, Peter Navarro was on Fox. He was the trade advisor of Donald Trump. He was on Fox last week. And he's like, oh yeah, I was working with Steve Bannon. We had this plan called Operation Green Bay Sweep. And we had a hundred congressmen all lined up until that doofus Mike Pence effed it up and it's like dude you realize you're admitting to crimes on tv and it and (laughs) like the point is like it doesn't matter peter nefaro can go and admit crimes on tv because he's not going to get picked up by the police or the fbi and and again that comes that comes down to perception problem there are some people in the united states who can go on tv or write books about the crimes they do and they don't go to prison and that's amendment right it's that old First Amendment duster off every once in a while. Like, I'm, well, I can say what I want. I'm like, this may be part of the problem to a degree, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You may remember that Russia seized uh, Crimea, which used to be a part of the Ukraine. Now it's not. Uh, since then, there has been fighting in the southeastern portion of the Ukraine uh, called the Dunbar region. Uh, that's been going on for about six years. But in recent months, there has been a buildup of Russian troops and military equipment on the Ukrainian border. Some people are concerned that this is Vladimir Putin planning for a full-scale invasion of the Ukraine, which would be high, which would be a highly destabilizing move in the region. President Joe Biden has uh, shaken the saber appropriately. But there is a question, uh, or a couple of questions. Number one, is Putin really planning to invade? Um, Or number two, does Putin just want people to think he's going to invade? Um, Or number three, Putin's just bolstering his own um, I, his own right-wing victimhood, uh, which is kind of a a worldwide trend with these right-wing authoritarian leaders. They're the victim um, by making it seem like he has to defend Russia from the gathering hordes of uh, democracy-loving NATO troops who are trying to absorb Ukraine. So it's a yeah. uh, it's quite the potpourri over there right now. And, and that is the great question, right? But it remind, this reminds me of a couple of things. One is when uh, Kim Jong-un fires off a rocket to get attention, right? Mm-hmm. Every once in a while. That, mm-hmm. That's on a smaller scale, but the, the intent is similar where you just – Fires one off and everybody goes, oh, North Korea fired one off. Fire that's not really working. missiles now. <laughs> yeah, that's not, really, <laughs> that's not really working for him uh, too well anymore. But it also mm-hmm. reminded me of uh, when the Iraqi troops amassed on the uh, Kuwaiti border. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact timeline. It was definitely 1990 because I didn't have a, the only thing I had was a radio and listening <laughs> to that. And then, so, but hearing this. Uh, via all the channels, it's like, oh, there's a massive buildup on the border. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And the, the the gamble is, is it an attention-seeking thing, which it seems like it is, mm-hmm. or is this where Putin doubles down and goes for it? Now, yeah, and Crimea is 
Crimea's unique circumstances in and of itself because it's Russian majority. Uh, in the case of Ukraine, it's like there are certain areas that have a lot of Russian people, but it's not it's not specifically over time, these things have changed hands so many times. Of course, we know with the Soviet Union, Ukraine was just considered part of the USSR, you know, most, which is mostly Russia, Russia-controlled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think at one point, Crimea was like was given to the Ukraine. It's like, okay, well, okay, you just take this because the mighty USSR will never fall. Well, so there's all this sort of <laughs> geopolitics going on in the background of what what's happening here. But he's definitely got the world's attention. And it sounds like there's going to be a... I believe it's still happening a conference um, later this week or early next week about mm-hmm. all this. So there's been a couple of back and forth with uh, Putin and Biden. All we see is sort of the bit where they meet on the screens as everybody does these days, but uh, the talks um, were quite intense by the sounds of it. But then the, 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 the U S is whose attention Putin is trying to get, but they're opening it up to the, all of the, all the partners, let's say, which will include Canada because we're, we are in NATO. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how these talks will go, will they break, you know, so talks, if it's talks have broken down, it's probably not looking good. Um, but if, if it manages to go on uh, then, so, but everybody's kind of just, you know, sitting on the edge of the seat going, mm, I wonder how this is going to go down, but mm-hmm. significant, show of strength like that shouldn't shouldn't be readily dismissed as like oh he's just bluffing which has been a bit of a narrative as all putin's just bluffing he'll never do it it's like really (laughs) remember crimea (laughs) it's like oh (laughs) well crimea was strategic i mean there were there were strategic goals in taking crimea that did suit russia a bit more than like being fully provocative and taking the whole of ukraine which I mean, you, you can sort of justify taking Crimea with, you know, by arranging a peace. And so all oh, like the Russian speaking people in Crimea really wanted to be a part of Russia, which nobody was buying. But again, uh, Putin was more than within his right to try and sell it. That's a you can't, you can't really spread that out over the whole of the country, especially since there have been there's been fighting in in um, in Donbass. Uh, 14,000 people have been killed in that conflict in the last oh wow i didn't realize it was that high seven years yeah yeah so i mean it's not nothing no um and at the same time uh there was a great article by ann applebaum in the atlantic uh talking about kind of what what it's like on the ground in kiev but again there's a lot of politicians in ukraine who have a go bag ready for the day or the hour that russia comes barreling in but on the other hand there is still this feeling in Europe, or at least among the European powers, as you said, like, here's, here we go again with Putin, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Um, in her article, it said, like, in European capitals, his, you know, victimhood is has become, like, almost banal. It's like, you know, like, these Trump, <laughs> these Trump um, speeches that we, we hear about where people kind of walk out halfway through because he's, like, going on about crooked Hillary's emails for the millionth time and nobody gives a crap anymore because uh, they've heard it all before. So there is that kind of spirit too with Putin. I mean, I'm no geopolitical expert either. um, So I'm going to phrase my next comments with that, but you know, what does invading the whole of Ukraine get him? I mean, he, it gets him a pain in the neck because then he ticks off Europe. He ticks off the U S. Oh Yeah. Um, he has the whole country. Then he, I mean, there'll 
there would more than likely be some kind of Ukrainian um, resistance to that, uh, if not, you know, a, a long-term conflict. Um, if they've been fighting over one particular part for um, six years, I mean, it's not like he's yeah. been he's been putting the old nose to the grindstone to take Donbass, but at, at the same time, it seems like the Ukrainians have been holding their own too. Um, but yeah, and P- Putin will insist that it's just. We don't, you know, we don't want Ukraine to be part of NATO. Well, that's it. Like he, he that's what kind of keeps him up at night. It's like, what yeah. if like the country right next door is part of NATO and they're a flourishing democracy and people are happy and, uh, you know, there's no right wing strongman who is, you know, bothering, you know, um, LGBTQ plus people or, you know, people like who Lukashenko. are different. Yeah. And, yeah so, I mean, that's kind of, again, Applebaum, who knows, because she literally wrote the book on tyranny. Um, mm-hmm. That That's kind of the thing that's keeping him up at night. But I mean, he also can't risk his money because what's holding Putin up? It's the fact that he controls the faucets to Russia's, you know, gas lines. Yeah. Um, and everybody in Russia who's in a all the oligarchs and all the people in the position of power their 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 power is tied back to putin and those faucets and if he goes to war against the ukraine how quickly do those faucets shut off so i think again i'm not a geopolitical expert but i think it's just it, it's in his political interest he wants to be the victim he, i mean he also wants to be the strong man but for some for some strange reason now being a strong man also means being a victim in the minds of a lot of these guys mm-hmm. um so now, you know, he, it, it, it's, it gives him a, uh, a political sort of raison d'etre that, you know, look at, look at all this going on. They're holding military exercises with the Ukraine. I got to put guys on the border because like military exercises could be in Quomark's guys. They could come over our border in a minute. Of course, nobody wants to invade Russia either. So it's, yeah. It, and they, yeah. They've been denying it for a long time. I mean, it's been like militias, right? As people mm-hmm. be like, "Oh no, that isn't. Us. It's not us. We're we're not the ones that are that are doing that." But it's always. You know, I don't know how they this, got those well, Russian guns. <laughs> Russian backed with Russian guns. Yeah, Rus- everything is Russian except you know they've 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 we scraped off the logo on just- the on the helmet, and it's just sort of like, "Well, there's these guys." And that we would be a question. Back and that creative machine guns was gone. <laughs> yeah, so we don't know. We don't know where they, we we have no idea. They're just they're just gone. The uh, so it's yeah that is a question whether it's going to be the the uh, the areas of um where there's and they're in minority too. It sounds as if it's it's not like Crimea. The, the Donbass you mentioned the other adjacent uh, oblaster like have lots of Russians there, but it's not it's not like ninety percent right. Yeah, it's not, I yeah. believe they're actually minority in both of those places, but yeah. it's it's sphere of influence stuff, right? Yeah. So you can you're going to use that as an excuse to just take shots at Ukraine and then, but yeah, full full scale. I mean, full scale invasion would just be that would uh, absolute madness. Now, if you're going to do if you're going to just going to do the posturing, it's like okay, and they, you know, even the other side will even accept that to a degree. It's like okay, you, you know, you're flexing. We will have this chat, but there's also been. Um, Cyber attacks as well, too, right? But the right. the grid, I think, the electrical grid between uh, Russia and Ukraine is still intertwined to a degree. And there was, I, well, I can't remember when that was. The the they, they took out the grid, and there was like, I don't know if you remember this, where the bank machines weren't working in 
in the Ukraine law, I think it spread beyond there. It was assumed that the attack came from Russia, but also like the, the um, computers that monitor the radiation level at Chernobyl, mm. which is the ultimate crossover project from, from Soviet times, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Russian project in Ukrainian territory. And it's like, man, if you're going to go to that level, it's like, that's, that's super gamble, right? It's like, you don't know how this, um, a virus of a sort is going to spread out of control. So it's, yeah. it's, it's not just the military buildup. There's other, other channels as well uh, that are just, it's, it's a continuous chipping away at this. Because I saw the, I don't often read wiki pages, but whether was something that came up when looking into this and it said, they called it the, the Russian Ukrainian war. I'm like, well, it's, yeah. it's not really official, is it? It's like we use this other language like conflict or uh, yeah whatever standoff, let's say, but yeah, the, I, Never really. I don't think anybody sees this as it's a war of a sort, but it's not. That I mean, may be a bit extreme to call it that at this point, but we'll see, right? Well, I mean, it's not 1917 anymore, right? So it's no. not like you go to war and you occupy a country. I mean, it just you can't get away with that now. Um, if you, especially in Europe. Um, so I mean. It, yeah, yeah, this would be a level it's, not it's, seen it's, since the Ukra- uh, Yugoslavian conflict, right? Right. It, it's like it's a, it's like a matter of like trying to wrap your head around something. It, it Sorry, civil very, war. I shouldn't call it a war, conflict. Yeah. The Yugoslav yeah, no, civil war, just, right? Or, or <laughs> genocide yeah. in some places. Um, but yeah, it, it's just it's something that's really kind of hard to get our our head around in the modern context, like a, a war in Europe. But I mean, that's what it is. When you have fourteen thousand people dead, what else can it be? On the other hand, yeah. though. Um, this is kind of where globalization comes into play. It's, you know, you can't have a real war. Like you can have some guys fighting and trading shots, but when yeah. it becomes like a real war, I just, I just remembered this right now, but you know, there was that whole thing with Malaysian airlines flight 17, which was shot down with a surface to air missile from a pro Russian um, fighter in, in the Ukraine. And, and like, just that they shot down a plane with, you know, maybe 300 people on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am saying those 300 people don't deserve to live or whatever, but it just, you know, that alone, as soon as this comes into like the international sphere that, you know, creates certain anxieties that the, the whole world can't ignore anymore. And so the question is how far will Putin push it until, um, it reaches to a point where everybody has to sort of back off. That's, that's kind of the real question. Is, is it going to end in like a war war? Like as, as we kind of understand it, I, I, that's seems unlikely, but the, the question is how far, how far will it go before people have to pull back? That's going to be the real danger. I sus- suspect we're going to find out very soon. Unfortunately, we will have to save that for another day, though. That's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. If you want to stay connected to us, you can go to our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you would like to listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all the groovy intel on what's going on at the station, <laughs> when we're on, when other shows are on, when Adam's 40 <laughs> other shows are on, uh, check out cfru.ca.
And speaking of other shows, DJ Sounds Good to Me is here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources, and we shall see you then.